Hey there, we're the Westlap Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, we continue our summer previews with the look at the teams Northwestern will not be playing uh, in conference play this year. Uh, tonight, that takes us to Happy Valley, uh, which wasn't all that happy last year. Um, but I guess you can't really just call it Valley, can you? Uh, Penn State is is on tap for us. Uh, four and five last year. Um, very, very interesting season. And I can't wait to, to dive into these guys. Um, I know they were very, very highly thought of going into the year and fell right on their faces. Uh, hey, hey, finish the season on a four-game win streak, though. Sure, you know, (laughs) sure, no, good, good on them. Michigan, Rutgers, Michigan State, Illinois. That's yeah, definitely something on last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but John, they were missing Micah Parsons last year. That definitely, oh, definitely was a factor. Oh, oh, were they? Were they missing? I, I hadn't noticed. I uh, (laughs) no, I. So let me preface this, okay, by saying that. Scuzz is going to take you through exactly what Penn State's offensive issues were and the effect that those had. And what I'm about to say, I, I'm not trying to diminish that in any way. Penn State had issues on both sides of the ball. But with that said, it is not often that you can quantify the value of one guy in such a concrete way. But it's really this simple. When Parsons sat out the 2020 season, it cost Penn State three wins. That's not hyperbole, and it's not debatable either. Penn State went four and five last year. With Parsons, they would have gone seven and two. They would have beaten Indiana to open the year. They would have finished second in the Big Ten East, and they probably would have played in, I don't know, the Fiesta Bowl, I would guess. Um... This is what happens when a defense entirely built around the best linebacker in the country by far has to totally adjust on the fly. You end up with a team loaded with talented defensive players who spend the first half of the year figuring out an identity. And then you factor in some really bad luck and somehow a team that finished in the top three in total offense and total defense last year Starts the season 0-5. Such a weird friggin' season defensively for the Nittany Lions. Again, this is a team that, as we said off the top, they only beat Rutgers, Illinois, crap Michigan, and Michigan State. And they didn't win a football game until November 28th. And you don't have to really work that hard to make the case that they could have gone undefeated if Parsons had played. I know that sounds like ridiculous, but if you look at the defense that actually took the field for Penn State last year, you see just stacks of talent that basically survived this this nuclear loss and fielded an excellent defense with a completely new linebacker core where just about everyone was playing out of position. So if Parsons had stayed, this unit first would have challenged Northwestern for best in the conference. And the defense would have really challenged Northwestern for best in the nation. 
Um, it's not crazy to say that all of that would have been enough to make up the only the 13 points that Penn State lost to Ohio State by. So the key thing holding everything together without Parsons defensively for Penn State last year was the quality of the defensive line. So Parsons may have left, but Penn State still had Shaka Tony, Antonio Shelton, P.J. Mustafer, and Jason Owe, and that was an awesome line. And as we discussed last year, heading into last year's season, it's versatile. So several of those guys, chiefly Tony, were able to adjust roles the year prior to conform to a defense that was going to be completely built around Parsons and his ungodly awesomeness. So Penn State got a great 12.5 tackles for loss and 8.5 sacks combined from Tony and Shelton in 2020, but their true value was probably papering over the mistakes made by the linebacker core. So there was a pretty sizable drop from the number three run defense in the Big Ten to Penn State at number four. But you have to factor in that for the first half of the season, Penn State's linebackers really didn't know what they were doing. Um, So for a point of reference, Penn State's two leading tacklers from last season, Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucada, are basically expected to basically share the middle linebacker job this year. Lucada wasn't really expected to play much last year, but when Parsons left, He basically had to not only play, but play out of position, and it showed. So by the end of the season, it was clear that Penn State needed to be starting true freshman mega recruit Curtis Porter, and that the lineup of Porter and Brandon Smith outside, and then Lucada backing up Brooks in the middle, is what they needed to end up settling on. And that's what they're going to be doing this year. And it's most likely going to be a great unit going forward. All of those guys were all big-time recruits who saw a lot of meaningful minutes in the fire last year. And again, a bunch of them were kind of playing outside when they should have been playing inside. Um, But now their roles are defined and it's just a ton of talent. And remember... At no point was this not a good run defense last year. It was still good, just not potentially best in the country, which is what it would have been. So, like, we've previewed Indiana. We talked about this. Scuzz talked about it when he talked about the Indiana offense. Think back to that game. Lost in that game is that Indiana was awful offensively for most of that game. And a lot of it had to do with what a Penn State team that was still figuring itself out was doing on defense. So, of course, the number one reason that Indiana and everyone else struggled against Penn State was an unreal pass defense. Um, this group was so dominant that it would easily have been the best pass D in the conference if <clears throat> God hadn't decided to put the best pass D in the nation in Evanston, Illinois. Um But this D started with that aforementioned work up front, especially by Shaka Tony. But Penn State also had a really, really good secondary, and a lot of that comes back in 2021. Tariq Castro-Fields will be one of the Big Ten's best corners, and Jaquan Brisker will be one of the best safeties. So, circling all the way back around, the big question with this group going forward is the unit that drove last season which was the defensive line, because the defensive line kind of was what kept things somewhat glued together when Parsons left. 
But now, Tony, Shelton, and Owe are all gone, and those are big losses. So Penn State returns Mustafer, but they only have two and a half sacks of production coming back on the line in total. Adisa Isaac provided one of those sacks, and he's the former number one player in the state of New York, and he's probably going to contribute a bunch this year. But Penn State is bringing in a bunch of transfers on the defensive line, and it's definitely going to be a bunch of line by committee in 2021. But still, this looks like an awesome group. This is like a really tested, really talented back seven with at least one really stout, strong, tested defensive tackle up front. Um, but again, like this team is always going to wonder what 2020 could have been like if they had had Parsons. But I do think defensively, out of that mess, they're probably going to pull a very special group uh, that, honestly, I'm glad we don't have to play this year. Well, because offensively, um, you know, a lot, lot of talk about Sean Clifford at quarterback. Um, the Kirk Shiraka experiment, or the Kirk Shiraka experience was not what they wanted, it seemed. Um, just a mess of an offense last year. What happened? Yeah, you know, it's funny because they were still, you know, top half of the Big Ten, but um, in terms of scoring and and even even better in terms of total offense. But I feel like, I mean, I read five or six previews prepping for this podcast, right? And um, I'm sure those previews talk about Micah Parsons, but every one of those previews is like essentially bemoans how awful Clifford was, questions whether he can really be great, um, excoriates Kirk Shiraka, and applauds the coup that Penn State executed in stealing, well, stealing is the wrong term, um, hiring Mike Yurich, the, the offensive coordinator from Texas who got, you know, let go with the, with the end of the Tom Herman era. And now, you know, Penn State can rise again in 2021. Um, there are some kernels of truth there. You know, we, we, we talked throughout last season about Clifford and struggling to adapt to Shiraka's offense, which is um, heavy RPO, um, relies on the quarterback to make really quick decisions and really quick reads. You know, if you're going to look for statistical evidence that Clifford struggled, um, yes, his, his, his interception rate increased quite significantly. Uh, he threw fewer touchdowns and fewer yards. And then, of course, you know, they were only four and five. But here's what's interesting. His accuracy didn't change. It got a little bit better. Uh, he lost a yard on his per attempt average. But I can't imagine that losing K.J. Hamler to the NFL wasn't a factor in that. Interestingly, when you look at the wide receiver core coming out of 2019, uh, Jahan Dotson effectively replaced Hamler's production in 2020. And then Parker Washington replaced Dotson's production. However, he averaged significantly less per catch, like 13 and a half yards instead of 18. Um, the tight end, uh, Farmouth, was basically the same, although I know he got, he got injured at one point. But I can't help noticing that Clifford went from two ridiculous deep threats to just one. And then the offensive line was atrocious. You can't say that they were worse than in 2019 when they were like extra atrocious, but there were a couple of key problems. So first... You know, they did improve on the overall sack rate from 2019, which you would think would have really helped Clifford, but they got dramatically worse on non-passing downs. 
And that tells me that the O-line was struggling with Shiraka's system as well, in that they gave up a lot more sacks on early downs. Where things really went off track, though, was the running game. That's where all the actual production was lost in 2020. So I said last year in the Penn State preview that they were going to be fine at running back. They'd lost Journey Brown, who was their leading rusher in 2019, but they had a bunch of phenoms. You know, Noah Kane, Kavane Lee, Devin Ford, all like five-star ludicrous recruits. Somebody was going to emerge. Well, Kane and Ford both got banged up at points. And when you look at when you look at the running back production, everybody should go do this. It's bonkers. Go look at the running back production in 2019 and then go look at it in 2020. And if you're like me, copy the two tables into Excel and line them up once next to each other. Because when you look at, at like the rows two through whatever in 2019, you get almost a one for one identical match to the rows in 2020, except Journey Brown is just missing. All of Journey Brown's numbers basically evaporated into thin air. 900 yards rushing and 12 touchdowns. That's crazy. Um, when you dig into the advanced stats, you see that the offensive line was pedestrian at run, bro- at run blocking. Um, they got a little bit worse from 2019, but not an entire Journey Brown's worth worse. Uh, their power blocking was abysmal. They went from tw- from top 20 in college football and power blocking to bottom 20, and they got stuffed a lot more often as well. But that still just does not account for the running back numbers. And then this is this is the part that I just can't get my head around because Sharaka, who's been handed the blame for everything offensive in 2020, oversaw a monster running game as offensive coordinator in Minnesota for the three years prior to, prior to coming to Penn State. So, I mean... This is a combination of factors, right? Poor O-line play, running back injuries, new scheme. Like, I'm not suggesting that Sean Clifford is the second coming of Peyton Manning, right? But I don't think he's quite as bad as everyone was was um, was feeling last year. But I think probably the most important factor for Penn State's offense in 2020 was what you just described, John, and that's that the Micah Parsons-less defense just put Penn State in an uncomfortable space all the time with regard to their running game and having to throw the ball more often, and it just totally sandbagged their offense. So now in 2021, it is totally plausible that they can recover. The running backs are all healthy. They have all those same guys. They also add a sparingly used transfer from Baylor and John Lovett. Um, this has become one of like my favorite uh, preview tropes is that like people are really excited about John Lovett and the Penn State coaches say that John Lovett is definitely going to participate. This is a guy who... Um, he, he, he didn't play much in 2020. I think he was probably injured or maybe he opted out partway through, but... In 2019, he played in just about every game for Baylor. Anytime he carried the ball more than 10 times, and this is in the Big 12, mind you, his yards per carry fell well below four, uh, five. So, like, I just, like, this dude is not going to come in and, like, meaningfully compete with Noah Kane and Kavani Lee. And, uh, anyways, like, the room is talented. Um, their running backs, I, I think, should be fine. Like, reversion to the mean, they should, they should get some of that missing Journey Brown production back. Uh, the offensive line is still a mess on the interior. Their tackles, spectacular. The interior, big question marks. Um, I think there's a guy moving from guard to center who should be pretty good, but like they're going to be inexperienced there, and that doesn't bode well, especially bringing in a brand-new offensive system under Mike Yurich, etc. cetera. Uh, in the quarterback room, Clifford is the only one who stayed from last year. Uh, there was... As you were talking, John, I was I happened to be watching uh, highlights from the Nebraska Penn State game last year, which is um, brings back a lot of emotions in a lot of different ways. But 
you know, that was the game that that probably sealed the the Clifford is awful and so is Penn State story. Um, even though the stats don't quite back that up because he threw a pick on the first drive, led them for a field goal, and then was strip sacked for a touchdown, which I think I think allowed Nebraska to go up seventeen to three uh on their third drive. That's when he got benched for Will Levis. Will Levis came in, played pretty well, almost led Penn State to the comeback. Well, Will Levis is somewhere else now. I forget where he transferred to, but he's no longer at Penn State. Uh, their third guy left as well. So behind Clifford, like there's nobody who's who's even fielded a snap in college football, let alone participated that much in terms of camp and practice, et cetera. So um, if nothing else, like assuming he stays healthy, like the way they're going to have to do that is reduce the number of times he carries the ball. I mean, he carried it for a hundred times plus each of the last two seasons. That's got to change. Uh, their wide receiver and tight end talent. I mean, this, this is the best spot on the on their team. Uh, I mentioned Jahan Dotson uh, and and Parker Washington. Those guys are both good. They're back. Um, there's plenty of other young talent at wide receiver. They were recruited very well there. Tight tight end is always a position of strength. Uh, Frymuth was was injured at times last year, so a couple different guys got an opportunity to play and and looked fine. So they're going to be fine there, but. I just I just can't behind I can't get behind this way too convenient story of the QB whisperer offensive coordinator comes in to save Penn State after bad QB play. Um, I mean I've already highlighted like in a couple different ways other than interceptions Clifford wasn't any different last year than the prior year. Uh, interestingly, when you look at Mike Gurich's track record, he didn't magically change Sam Ellinger in his final year at Texas in 2020. In fact, Ellinger was less accurate by like five percent. Uh, threw for fewer yards per, per attempt. He did reduce his, his interceptions, but um, nobody in Texas was particularly happily. But nobody in Texas was particularly happy with the results of last year. Uh, prior to being with the Longhorns, Yurich coached Justin Fields in his first year as QB at Ohio State. But that was the less good of Justin Fields' two years as Ohio State quarterback. And then before that, I mean, everybody likes to trumpet what Yurich did with Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State. But when has Oklahoma State not had a prolific quarterback under Mike Gundy? So in my opinion, like there's no like magic fix coming to this offense in the form of Mike Yurich. He's probably going to get credit because I think this offense is going to be better, but it's going to be because the defense puts them in a position to run the ball more, more often, not rely on Clifford to bail them out from, from holes in games on the scoreboard and to keep them from getting one dimensional. And you know, they, they've got the talent to, to be effective, and if they just if they simply go back to what they were in 2019 on on offense and defense, like they should be pretty decent this year. So let's talk about this schedule. Uh, interesting, interesting schedule. Um, open up the season at Wisconsin, home to play Ball State. Then Brian Harson um, lost in uh, with the <laughs> Auburn Tigers, uh, Villanova, Indiana. It finishes up a four-game homestand. Uh, then they travel to Iowa, get their bye, home for Illinois, at Ohio State and Maryland, home for Michigan and Rutgers, and then they finish off the season at Michigan State. Um, at Wisconsin, at Iowa, and then hosting Illinois is a pretty rough crossover. Yeah, I mean, with the Illinois exception. Yeah. Um, but they have the bye to prepare for Illinois, too. So, <laughs> good, good thing. <laughs> it's it's so it's so fascinating to look at at parts of their schedule. I mean, the the Wisconsin game is fascinating, right? Because they're it's like two teams that 
expect to be awesome on defense and are trying to figure things out on offense. And it's like, well, who's who's going to get it figured out, right? To the victor goes go the spoils. Um, but you know, it's it's so funny too to juxtapose. Penn State with Michigan, who we haven't previewed yet, so I don't want to step on that too much. But um, where it's like with Penn State, like Scuzz even mapped it out, and I, there's there's so much of that on defense and even offense too, where you're like, you're kind of like, all they have to do is just kind of like unf themselves, yeah. And if they do that, like they could be super awesome. Like you you can see all the pieces, right? Like you're not looking and being like, oh god, there's some underlying thing here. That is just, is just, you know, some disease that is just eating at them. It's like, if, if you're, it's like, you know, if, if it really was Taroka that was the problem, right? Or if one of these backs just needed to assert themselves, or if the offensive line really was confused and all these things just click back into place, like this team is, is stacked with talent. Now, you know, it's so ironic because I think Scuzz made a good point that like, all, all like so many people want to do is like just piss on Clifford, and it's like the single worst thing that can go wrong for this team is if Clifford gets hurt. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! It'd be a train wreck. I mean, like then, yeah. then you're talking about a real disaster, right? Exactly. But it's like you look at the back half of their schedule, and it's like Illinois, Maryland, Michigan, Rutgers, Michigan State. Like Penn State's just flat better than all those teams, and then like the front, like and then they have like Ball State on their schedule, Villanova on their schedule. So you know, yeah. But I mean, they've got Wisconsin, um, India, and and again, it's like here. Here's the thing, though. Like, if they lose at Wisconsin, lose to Auburn at home, lose to Indiana at home, lose at Iowa, those are all four plausible losses. I don't think that sure. they lose all four games, but my God, it's going to be they're going to be riots. I know it's you're right, and it's crazy. And 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 the thing is, in the case of of right i mean certainly wisconsin indiana and i I mean indiana it's like indiana pretty much is playing with like a similar deck with penn state right now and indiana's not trying to figure anything out like indiana knows exactly what they have they're really good now like so they're like they don't need any pieces to slide into place so yeah i mean it's weird but again it's like whereas i you know when whenever we get to to the wolverines you know it's like there's a team that's like they've got like crises that they have to deal with where it's like Penn state. It's like this, this last season, again, it's like if Micah Parsons had played, it could be that Penn state puts up seven or eight wins last year. And then no one's talking about any of this stuff on either side of the ball. And I think that would one other sliding doors moment, right? So we talked on our Indiana preview about, the Michael Penix reach for the pylon controversial play that probably wasn't a touchdown. Let's say Penn state wins that game. I mean, they gave Ohio state the best game Ohio state got all year uh, until the big 10 championship game. And then the, and then the national championship. Right. Um, Right. Like does an extra ounce of, of conviction and confidence make a difference in that game. I mean, Cliff, Cliff and Clifford was damn good in that game. And my dad is, it's his, I think his second best uh, pass rating of the year after Illinois. Um, the, I mean, the real, the real kick in the teeth was the following week when they went to Maryland and they couldn't stop Maryland to save their lives. Uh, Clifford threw for three forty in that game, I might add, but they, they couldn't run on, um, on the Terrapins, which is a, a real indictment of whatever was going on <laughs> with their O line and their running game. So, um, 
And then the Nebraska game happens. And like, like at that stage, the bottom has dropped out, but like, like in, in three of those four games, something really meaningful could have happened differently. That would have completely changed the complexion of everything that they were doing last year, even without Michael Parsons. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard for me to not see how this is not one of the three best teams in the East. Like I don't, I just can't like it. It's, you can talk about Penn State's issues all day, but you put them next to Maryland, Michigan State, Rutgers, and Michigan, and it ain't close. Like, nope. I, like those teams have issues on a whole different level than what Penn State has. So then you're just comparing them with Ohio State and Indiana, and it's like last year's team. No, this year's team. It's just what what clicks into place. Is Franklin's seat getting hot? I mean, there seems to be, like, chatter. I mean, there's always chatter around Franklin, right? Whether he's, like, looking to go to the NFL or is his seat getting warm? I imagine there's no real chatter at Penn State about Franklin. I think the media likes to talk about Franklin. I know I like to talk about Franklin because I think he's a buffoon when it comes to late-game coaching. Um, But I don't think anyone at Penn State is like, I think that seat is cool and comfortable. If and they the, start two and four, though? Well, eh. if they start two and four, absolutely. Maybe. But it's funny, too, because we talked in our like kickoff pod at the start of everything, right, about like all these stupid narratives around like COVID and everyone getting a mulligan, and it's like Penn State's about the only one you can really make. Like, the Micah Parsons thing, like, just Understand, he's going to be one of the NFL's best players in the next like couple of years. Um, and the like the losing him had a absolutely earthquake effect on that team. And the sliding doors of the kind of things that happened had he stayed, sure. So, I mean, part of me wants to believe that you know the lightning won't strike twice. But you're right. I mean, that if they somehow pull an offer out of that. Uh, you know, the the four tough games at the start of their schedule, which I don't think will happen. But yeah, I don't know. If they were, if they're two and four or even three and three coming out of that, you know, certainly the national narrative that Penn State's not starting seasons, which would be a stupid narrative, but I mean, it, it would still be there. And uh, yeah, none of us are exactly going to be crying if his seat gets hot. Let's put it that way. So uh, put a ceiling on this. Right. One, two losses. I'll, I'll say a ceiling of 11 and one. That's the ceiling. I mean, because you could, there's certainly a scenario where everything clicks into place for this team. Um, and they, do, do you think won. they can beat Wisconsin? I haven't dug into Wisconsin yet. Um, I, and I haven't either. I t- totally, I think they can. I think they, I mean, that's a thing. They can beat every team on their schedule. It's like, or their offensive, like their interior of their offensive line and the exterior of their defensive line don't get squared away and they become some sort of weird thing and, and you know, and continue to be snake bit. So um, there, I, it's, but I will say there's like, there are seven teams on their schedule that they are just better than. And I don't see any doubt in that. So it's like, there's my floor is seven. Um, And, you know, I, if I say that they, let's say they take a Wisconsin 
maybe they take an Indiana or an Iowa or an Auburn um, that, you know, that puts them up around, you know, eight, nine wins. And I feel like nine is probably where I'm settling in for this team. Yeah, seven makes sense to me. I just, I think Wisconsin right out of the gate. On At the road, Wisconsin, too. It's just, I mean, that's just too hard of a, uh, it's too aspirational for a team that has too many things to correct, right? Like, like stuff's going to go wrong for Penn State in that game because they they aren't going to have their, you know, their O-line still going to be figuring it out. They've got a ton of new starters on D. Um the new the new offensive coordinator. I just like. Plus, Camp Randall's going to be full. It's going and it's going to yeah. be and it's going to be I full mean, of rabid bonkers, Wisconsin. Right? And yeah. the winner, I mean, the winner of that game is taking massive momentum out of that game. Like yeah. the winner of that game will be trumpeting that they are all caps back, and that will be a big thing. So, I mean, it's it's a huge opportunity yeah. for Penn State, and just, it very likely will you know. Yeah, I, I can't see them winning that game, um, and I can't I can't see them beating Ohio State um, right now it's like it just it's just too implausible given the the dominance of the Buckeyes so I like I'll 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 give them a 10 and 2 as a as a high watermark if everything clicks into place and yeah seven I mean maybe six maybe something goes horribly wrong at Maryland or um, I get you know at Michigan State at the end of the year if you know their team is checked out and they're you know hovering around six wins um you, you, don't, you, know, you don't see you don't see michigan going in there and no. i mean not to step on our michigan preview uh, but no. I, I, who, whoever I, whoever the home sam team is, i'm furiously trying not to step on the michigan <laughs> but the, no the answer is no <laughs> i mean one of the things we talked about last year with the game being at michigan was that the home team has beaten the tar out of the other team in that in that game for like four years and last year like Penn State going to Michigan and winning convincingly was was not a surprise but it was um different you know and I just yeah. I mean there's people should of, be reading between the lines that like we, we think Michigan of, sucks there's uh, a lot of different at Michigan right now. Yeah. yeah and and that game's in 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 Happy Valley and I just like no the last, the, the, the last thing I'll say, just to come back to it and beat this one more time, is um, I am trying to color my predictions of Penn State by what my predictions would be if Penn State had gone 7-2 and two last year. Because I truthfully think that they would have if, if Parsons had played. And um, I would say that that would lead me to, to be giving them a lot more of the benefit of the doubt in that Wisconsin-Auburn-Indiana-Iowa group that I think is going to kind of set the course for their season. So um, I think I'm, I'm going to come around to, to nine, but, and I think, I think if I had to pick, I'd be more likely to go over that than under that. But you know, I, certainly no Penn state fans on this pod. If they implode again, we'll all be enjoying it. No doubt. Yeah. I, I don't know why I'm, I'm feeling eight. I, maybe I'm, I'm I don't know. That That's just what's kind of popping into my head. And, I, I'm wrong all the time, so I, I'm not ashamed to admit that. Um, and if if they go 10-2, and two, I'll, I'll eat crow. That's fine. But uh, I'll go on record and have them at 8-4. and four. Why not? Do you have them worse than uh, – who? what's the pivot game for you, Auburn or, or Iowa? Auburn, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, it, it's early enough in the year that the weather's shouldn't be a factor. I mean, if if that game were in October, then absolutely, I would say Penn State would have the edge. Does it and, change? Does it change in your mind at all knowing that that'll be the whiteout? Will it? Seven thirty kickoff ABC. Oh, yeah that that does change that does change my mind. Yeah, well, that, I, uh, well I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go. With, Auburn's going to beat them, but I mean, you know, Auburn's going fifteen and zero next year, so it's, it's no it's, Brian you know. Harson is going fifteen and zero just by himself. <laughs> true, exactly. I mean, tr- truly, I I don't think Auburn wins that game. I don't know, like like I they lost a lot off the team that we convincingly beat at the end of the year last year. Um, I don't know. It, it it turns out here's a secret, we're pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Don't tell anybody. In any case, um, okay, yeah, no, I'll I'll go I'll go nine and three. Sure, that it's early for a whiteout, but I'll I'll buy it. Sure. I just don't, I don't know when else it would happen. I mean, I guess you could do it against Michigan. Yeah, um, you could do it on October second against Indiana if that's a night game. If both teams are undefeated, but I, I don't, I don't think that's very plausible. Um, it ain't, ain't going to be October twenty third hosting Illinois. No, certainly not. <laughs> certainly not. All right, yeah, nine three. I'm still leaning towards eight and four, but uh, you, you've convinced me to change my official prediction because we're definitely keeping track of those. We did that one year, and then it was like, mm, we're not going to do that again. <laughs> well, anything else to add on Penn State before we uh, call it a wrap? I don't know. They're, they are an unsettled ship, and it's going to be wild to see how their first six weeks play out. They are, indeed, an unsettled ship. Well, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scouse, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.